0: Boom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I promise you folks a book report as well in the ground indeed I did general listeners but that was in an episode that was never completed for hacker public radio and is best forgotten when I first aspired to contribute a podcast I thought I was too busy to set aside the time to record and I reasoned that if Dave Yates could podcast while driving I should be able to as well. Alas, none of my vehicles proved to be as satisfactory a recording environment as a Honda. For your edification and amusement, I have appended excerpts of an HPR series that I would have called Tales from the Truck to the end of this episode. Failing in mastering talking and driving at the same time, I next tried to record while doing various maintenance tasks around the farm, such as working on engines or brake repair or tractor uh, maintenance. I even went so far as to type up a script, but I eventually arrived at the conclusion that I could either concentrate on the task at hand or record a podcast, not both however like CT in these tumultuous times at HPR I have decided to rescue a recording from the past and present it to you as it was recorded on my Sansa fuse literally from the bottom of a well to explain how I came to be at the bottom of a well a couple of winters ago a bit after I made my first submission to Hacker Public Radio I was having problems with the well that provides water to our cattle pens. I first replaced the electric powered jumping jack ju- uh, pump actuator that took place of the original wind-powered pumping unit known in the common vernacular as a windmill. That lasted a few weeks until the pump rod bent and split, fracturing the cast-iron case of the new pumping mechanism. You see, they had to conserve weight in the moving components of the original windmill systems, lest they be too heavy for a wind turbine to lift. Usually a big wooden stick would run from the windmill head to the ground, while a thin walled tube would continue down through the well pipe to the pumping piston below ground level. You see, neither when the well was converted to electricity fifty odd years ago or when the well was worked over by my father and a friend while I was away at school in the 80s, did anyone consider replacing the thin-walled pump rod with a solid piece of shafting? After 70 years of rubbing against the well pipe with every stroke, the pump rod wore through and split along the entirety of its vertical seam, jamming the pump jack and causing it to shear its mounts and tearing it from the top of the well pipe. The only alternative was to replace the connecting shaft from the pump jack down to the pumping piston in the working cylinder below ground. I opened up the well pit and what should have extended several feet below ground was only deep enough so that standing in the pit my knees were about level with the ground and at that time daytime temperatures were in the 60s. At the time I recorded what you are about to hear, I had been digging for weeks trying to finish before it was too cold to fill the cattle tank with a water hose from the house and had the pit down to where the ground was about two feet above my head. Daytime highs were then in the low forties and I was hacking through roots and filling a five gallon bucket with a trowel and then carrying it up a ladder to dump it outside the hole. The well pit had started about three feet on the side and narrowed to about two thirds that size. I think by that time I discovered the reason for my long excavation. When I got down to the top of the working cylinder, which is a barrel about three times the diameter of the well pipe that contains the piston that drives the water upwards, where the top cap should have been securely screwed into the barrel of the working cylinder, it flopped uh, loosely because the threads were all worn out. Though they deny it, uh, my father and my friend, instead of replacing the worn components or at least devising some sort of external clamp, many designs of which went through my head while standing in the cold bottom of that well, they must have decided to set the whole works back down in the hole and covered the joint with duct tape And then shoveled what they deemed to be a sufficient amount of dirt back down in the hole to keep the working cylinder together where it wouldn't spread apart on every stroke. So that's the story, my gentle friends, of how I wound up uh, podcasting from the bottom of a well. Did I mention that I had to edit an hour and a half of audio to recover about the four-minute narrative? I did leave the recorder going with sounds of just me digging for some time after I finished speaking. I decided to lend uh, atmosphere to the subject matter that you are about to hear. And perhaps Claw could use it as a spooky grave digging sounds in one of his movies. Oh, that's right. I was going to do a book review. Today I wanted to tell you about one of my favorites from PodioBooks.com. Jake Bible's dead mech this will be a no spoilers introduction to the book sort of like the Az attack so you need only fear the ravenous and rageful howl that begins each chapter somehow I left out the premise of the story entirely in my recovered recording so let me set the scene Uh, dead mech is set in a dystopian future as post-zombie apocalypse stories tend to be, Jake Bible adds a unique twist to the zombie mythos, and one that I'll be surprised if Hollywood doesn't steal. In Bible's bleak future, one needn't be bitten by a zo- zombie to become one. In fact, the f- infection is airborne and endemic to the populations of the few great walled cities that dot the zombie-overrun wastelands whether one dies in back alley gladiatorial blood sports or having your throat slit in a fanatical sacrificial ritual or crushed under the massive feet of a zombie piloted war machine or even peacefully in your own bed everyone rises again as a zombie citizens of the somewhat civilized cities ...are fitted with explosive implants in their craniums to destroy the brain at the moment of death... ...so that they don't turn on the society that controls and defends them. All but the warriors, who must have nothing interfering with the neural interface to the giant walking war machines. Zombies are not the only horrors lying in the waste between the great cities. There are tribes of savage cannibals... Zombie-worshipping zealots, heavily-armed railroaders driving the fortress trains that make travel and commerce between the cities moderately safe, and hen societies that, for their own reasons, are more comfortable among the zombies than among civilized men. Okay, 5150 from the past. You take the rest of this review, and I'll rejoin you at the end. The wastelands are patrolled and the city's protected by a corps of warriors driving the 50-ton, five-story-tall, heavily armed mechs. But the designers failed to take into account what happens when a pilot dies in his cockpit. and leaves a zombie in control of one of the most devastating war machines ever constructed. In Dead Mech, Jake Bottle tells the story of one squadron of mech warriors about a generation after humanity was destroyed once again by the undead pilots. Commander Caprizi must decide whether to take his warriors on the run from their Wasteland outpost. After he begins to suspect the survival of humanity is no longer a priority for the totalitarian bureaucracy which controls what once was the United States, he is further confronted with a raw recruit with a shadowy past and whether he should accept assistance from a most unlikely ally. Well, that's it. I think really think you should hop on over to partybooks.com and give Dead Mech a try. Jake Bible seems to have quite the cult following on the forums on his own website, but his work still hasn't generated the buzz in the open source community as accompanies the works of Nathan Lowell. There are quite a few descriptions of graphic violence in this novel though perhaps not as gratuitous as what I've seen in some of the works by Scott Siegler. I should also mention that Jake Bible calls this the world's first Drabble novel, and the definition of Drabble being a short story of exactly 100 words, so it's not as noticeable in the first few chapters. But at the end of the book, when the action gets hot and heavy, the perspective of the reader shifts from one character to another every 100 words well i can see that mr bible has cinematic ambitions i think that would have to be revised in a movie version lest, lest they give the viewer whiplash in short if you passed by dead mech on com because the title seemed too cheesy i strongly suggest you go back and give it another look this has been 5150 for hacker public radio and that- Why, thank you for that most interesting review, uh, past 5150. I just wanted to add, the only part of the book that didn't hold my interest was a rather overwrought explanation of an elaborate hazing ritual that serves as pilot training in the second segment. I'm glad I plowed through, though, because action builds as you progress through the story. Now, the last segment is an epilogue where Bible interviews himself based on questions from readers posted to his forum as episodes were being released chapter by chapter. And you can tell he has a sense of humor, so I think a podcast that interviews science fiction authors would find Bible an entertaining guest. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike 3.0 license.